chillin' and a you will hear about the eliminating of the negative and a accent on a positive. And gather round me, chillin', if you're willing, and sit tight while I start reviewing the attitude of doom. Is this thing on? Oh, yes, it is. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast, The Joyful Frugalista, and now here's your host, Serena Bird and Friends. Hello, Frugalistas, and welcome. Today I have a very special guest, a good friend. Welcome, Leanne Elliott. Thank you. Thanks, Serena. It's lovely to be here. <laughs> Thank you. Leanne and I are in the same Zonta club, and we will speak about Zonta in a bit for those of you who are wondering what on earth Zonta is. But in addition to that, she's also a pretty amazing trainer and educator. She specialises in organisational change management, including whole of organisation transformation, leadership development, negotiation, behavioural science, predominantly in the government sector, but also in the private sector. She's principal consultant at Interaction Consulting in Canberra, and we've had many interesting discussions about the importance of good leadership. Welcome once again, Leanne. Thanks, Serena. Leanne, before we start talking about organisational change and other issues, I understand you used to be quite a devout follower of the FIRE, Financial Independence Retire Early Movement. What got you into FIRE and what was your FIRE journey like? Thanks, Serena. I, I love the way you say that I used to be. And, <laughs> um, and you know, there's, there's the clue for people to, to follow this story. So let me tell you, I'm an old person. You're not that old. I've been through the FIRE once before. And the way it came about is, like, I'm an old person and so from way back in the days before the word fire even existed, I mean, back in my day, you also, you didn't have a side hustle. You had a second job. <laughs> None of those phrases existed back, way back when in the 80s and the 90s. And what happened was I suppose I hit around about, 30 and realised that it was time for me to start adulting and began to look at my finances and my personal situation. I was really fortunate in one respect. I can remember at the age of 18 watching the Prime Minister, who was Paul Keating, mm-hmm. come on TV and say that anyone who was entering the workforce today And I went, well, that's me. I'm entering the workforce today. We'll have to fund their own retirement, that there would be no government pension by the time I retired. That's quite a harsh message when you're just about to enter the workforce. There's no rainbow pot with a pot of gold at the end of it. Oh, gone. It was, was, you know, that man had extraordinary foresight and big, big strategic thinking, and he knew where he was going. And it was great that he was able to send me that message as an 18-year-old to prep me for what the future would hold. I had that kind of idea in the back of my head from the age of 18. And then in my late 20s and early 30s, I really began to take my finances seriously. And It was back in the day before the interwebs and you had to go out and buy a book. A book. What book did you buy? Oh, look, I can't remember. I bought a lot. I bought a lot. And when I look at the Barefoot Investor book, that 
information was around way back when. You know, that whole idea of divide your income up into the 60, 20, 10, 10 and all that sort of thing has been around forever. And so that was how I started, was breaking up my income into those proportions. The big struggle you have as a young person is sticking to the 60%, mm. living on 60%, because you're setting up a home and you want to go out and buy all those new linen and new kitchenware and you've got rent to pay and new clothes to wear and you want to go out drinking with your mates. So it was really hard. I mean, we're sort of laughing at this a little bit because I guess we're in a different (laughs) age group. But there is a lot of social pressure, particularly on women. You want to look good. You want to be attractive. You want to meet your soulmate. So you want to make sure you're, you're dressed and you're looking fabulous and you've got good hair and good makeup. You don't want to, there's a lot of pressure to really look the part. And then your friends want to go out and it's really hard to say to your friends, well, look, I'm on a budget, I'm saving for a house, I'm saving for my retirement. Going out for a big boozy night out, dinner and nightclub is not on my agenda tonight, thank you very much. I'm going to go home and read a book instead. Finance book of all things. A finance book of all things. <laughs> I, I became really kind of focused in my 30s and I think one of the big clues there was following those formulas that came around and automating all of my banking, that idea that this 10% or this 20% was going to automatically get hived off and put into another separate account and not be touched, Mm. that I was going to make additional payments off my mortgage and those sorts of ideas and setting it all up and just letting it run. When I was about 30, I became self-employed for the first time and I can remember trying to work out my business goals and my life plan and thinking, geez, if I'm still forced to work by the time I'm 50, I will be really sad. That will be really <laughs> disappointing. Must have seemed so long to go when you're in the 30s. The, the, the idea of being 50 seems like a whole different world, like it's never really <laughs> going to happen to me. I'm never really, really going to become middle-aged. Yeah, it was a 20-year time frame that I set myself was this whole idea and it was a really subtle thing. It was an idea that just popped into my head at the time was what's going to happen when I'm 50 and can I be self-supporting by the time that I'm 50? And the idea was to try and motivate me to make business work. It surprised me. It surprised me greatly (laughs) when I hit 50 and went, woohoo, let's pay off the mortgage and that'll be the end of that. Those sorts of things happened. Look, I just followed the financial advice to be really blunt and that was what got me to that point. And I hit 50, I paid off the mortgage and had free housing, which is a huge, huge bonus. Isn't it? Absolutely massive. And, of course, by the time I hit 50, I owned all the things that you're supposed to own. I had good furniture. I had all the kitchen stuff. I had... I owned a car outright and all those sorts of things as well. You're 50, you are mortgage-free, you're car loan-free, you're otherwise debt-free, and did you retire at that point? I kind of did, yeah. I had a good savings level, a good cash savings level. I had about a year's salary in the bank. I was a public servant at the time. Malcolm Turnbull and John Lloyd conducted what I like to call 
the great executive level purge of 2016, mm-hmm. I thought this might be the time after 15 year stint in the public service to accept one of their delightful redundancy packages. I am so envious. They weren't around <laughs> when I was looking at going. They can be very lucrative if you know how to get one. Yeah, so I took one of their redundancy packages, went home to sit on my couch and looked and looked at my finances and went, wow, I've hit 50 and it's time for me to be financially independent. I've got enough set up and enough money and income coming in off the money to give me a really basic safety net in place. So then it came down to I'm, I'm actually now independent enough to choose what I want to do with the rest of my life. How did that feel? You're 50, you've achieved your goal. Not only have you paid everything off, but you've got a redundancy to boot, you've got a year's worth of saving plus this extra cash splash. How did it feel? It's, that's a really good question. It's hard to say. One, a, a lot of relief, a huge relief. Uh, this idea that I can choose, that the, I was free to choose whatever I wanted to do was an amazing relief for me. I did decide at the time not to rush it. I wanted to have a, a break. It was the first time in my entire career that I was not working. I had worked full time for 35 years. Mm. Here I was starting to have my first opportunity to just do what I wanted to do for a change. And so what happened next? You've hinted that it didn't all just end on a happy note when you turned 50. What happened? I'm sitting there with all my, you know, like Scrooge McDuck, (laughs) you know, clasping all my dollar bills to my chest and having a good time. At that point, I started thinking about what's a small business I wanted to operate. And I had two ideas I actually began working on. It was a Friday night uh, in summer in February 2017. And so I was about a year in at that point. My husband came home and said to me, my sweet, I have something very important to tell you and you need to listen to me. Mm -hmm. And it was at that point that my fire went up in flames. I knew immediately what he was going to say and it was all over in 20 minutes and he was gone. He literally walked off into the night, never to be seen again. He was gone. So that was his message. Yep. He refused to talk to me about it. He just said, I'm leaving. He stood there for 20 minutes saying, I'm not talking to you and just walked off in the end. I never saw him again. I never spoke to him again. Never saw him again. Never spoke to him again. Nope. And had there been any sort of forewarning that this might have happened before you had suddenly retired at age 50? I suppose the forewarning was that we were a middle-aged, boring couple. Um, That might be the forewarning. I was happy. We didn't have any issues. Well, he had issues, clearly. But the relationship was reasonably comfortable and relaxed and probably boring for him for some reason. I just don't know what the issue was for him. He never told me. Mm. He just, it's kind of like the real, real two textbook midlife crisis stuff that subsequent. I subsequently then read those books. The finance books got put away. The midlife crisis books <laughs> came out. <laughs> what it meant was that half my wealth walked out the door 
in one go, in one instant, it was just gone. The big issue for me was that whilst I'd lost my relationship very suddenly and divorce and the processes are quite expensive, you know, there's a lot of money, a lot of money on lawyers and forensic accountants on all kinds of things, going to mediation and the whole thing is an expensive process. But then suddenly the big issue was how do we split all our finances? How do we split the house? And to be blunt, I took the expensive route. I decided I didn't want to lose my home as well and that I would buy the other half of the house. So I had to pay him for 50% at commercial rates for the house. Mm. And now I'm back in mortgage land, yay, with everybody else. And that meant to get a mortgage, I had to front up to a lender with a pay slip in my hand. So I had to go back out into full-time work. That must be harsh. You've left, you've celebrated your retirement, you're sitting on the couch feeling happy, and then you have to go back to work. Harsh is understatement of the century, Serena. The whole thing was absolutely devastating. I, I mean, the loss of the relationships are suddenly like an amputation was completely devastating. And I had to go through a grieving process for about six months for a start and then go through the whole legal trauma with him. And everything was gone. Everything was gone. I felt groundless. I felt like the the whole, the earth underneath that I stood on, my stability had disappeared completely. It was all gone. I didn't have, the future I thought I was going to have was gone. That freedom that I had was gone. The financial independence I had was gone. Uh, the relationship was gone. Like everything, poof, gone. I'm guessing there's a lot of people around the world, particularly in Australia right now, who are experiencing some huge changes as a result of our current crisis. And whether it's homes that have gone up in smoke or whether it's self-isolation, whether it's sickness or, or death of loved ones, there's a lot of things happening where a lot of people, I'm guessing, and, and jobs gone too, all sorts of things happening, livelihoods. I, I'm guessing there's a lot of people who are going through that sense that you had of things just suddenly going and it must seem very unfair and it must be really easy <laughs> to or tempting to wallow in it. What are the things that got you through? Serena, I really want to acknowledge what the acknowledgement that you just made to the community. 2020 has been an absolute shocker for people here in Australia. As you say, it started with bushfires that ravaged probably a third of the landscape of Australia and mm. thousands of people. In fact, they've been going on for months before it even got to January. Yeah, yeah. And then things like here in Canberra where we had the giant hailstorms and you know, everybody lost their cars and had more damage done. And now this particular virus now affecting worldwide and so many people suddenly put out of work and out of jobs. And, and I, among them too, you know, interaction, we had a lot of work cancelled very suddenly mm. and the threat, it hangs over us about will interaction be able to continue to employ us? And I'm sitting there going, oh, I'm facing some more pain. And so the that idea of, as you're saying, how do you 
have self-compassion and empathy for others in the situation? Can you bring forward your spirit of generosity and kindness? Can you collaborate with others to work together for mutually beneficial outcomes? For me, you know, having had gone through a really practical experience of building my own resilience just two years ago, and let me acknowledge there's many people who've also had very similar stories to me. According to the University of Melbourne a couple of years ago, about 25% of our divorces end up with this abandonment process. So I'm not alone. There's a lot of people out there who have this happen. And then it's on top of the virus as well, which is frightening people. For me, at that time, I did turn quite heavily to Buddhist psychology because those guys, geez, they know how to do suffering really well. Well, it's the basis. It's the basis of everything. That is all. Everything begins with human suffering. They know how to manage suffering really well. They don't have that um, American rah, rah, you know, you've got to be happy, you've got to check. They don't have that at all. What they have is a very pragmatic, realistic view of, yeah, you're in this really sucky place right now and what you need to do is have compassion for yourself, look after yourself, let the emotions flow past you, through you like a weather change. You know, it's a storm and it's going to go past. So there's a lot of mental models and mindsets. Serena, if I could, if I could step backwards for a second, at the time when I entered the grieving process back in 2017, one of my closest friends said to me something that was so important. And she said, Leanne, you're going to have to go climb a mountain now. A mountain. She said it's going to be like climbing a mountain for a while, but you've got a head start on most people because you're already trained. You've already got all the tools and the techniques and the skills. And so now you've got to use them on yourself. Mm-hmm. And she was right. There was, we now are seeing the neuroscience of how our amygdala and our hippocampus who want to keep us safe, but when you see a threat, they get triggered and they release a lot of cortisol and adrenaline, which is not helpful. Not when you can't go out and fight a bear or anything. You're just going to stay inside. Yeah, we're not going out and fighting bears anymore, right? We're sitting in an office in front of a computer screen going tappy, tappy, tap, but we still have the same level of emotional intensity. Learning to do deep diaphragmatic breathing, which shifts your hippocampus into releasing dopamine and serotonin. It calms down your body and calms down your system. And once your system's calm again, you then get access once again to the functional portion of your prefrontal cortex and you can start making sane decisions about what am I going to do about a job? What am I going to do about my budget? Mm. What am I going to do about my mortgage, and those questions that people are having to ask themselves right now, I would say get on the internet, look up selfcompassion.org, understand that it's not 
how can I put this, that there's practical, tangible skills that help you to keep your brain feeling safe and then you can make clear, precise, resourceful decisions about your job and your finances and your family and the life that you want to live. It's so easy to have your brain go running away, going tick, 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 tick. Like I find this myself at the moment. I'm thankful that we're actually in a very good financial position and I shouldn't worry. But still, my brain starts racing going, oh, no, I've had 13 Airbnb cancellations. I'll never be able to run an Airbnb again. I'll have to take out another mortgage. I'll default on the mortgage and the bank will do that and my credit card, my credit rating will be over. And, 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 and I've, you know, quit my job to start a new business and I won't be able to do that right now because the economy is so bad. And, 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 and there's all this talk about pay cuts for public servants and that'll kick in for hubby and, 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 and actually none of those worries are actually real in, in, in a real way. Airbnb has been affected, but there's always up and downs with anything. And in fact, we've been wanting to have a vacancy for a while so we can get in and do some renos. So that might actually be an opportunity. But it's really hard to make any kind of decisions that are rational in any way, shape or form when your, your mind's racing like this. I'm finding that my daily walk of a morning is what gets me through right now. Oh, nice. Nice. I like it. I like it. Yeah. You reminded me of Mark Twain who said he'd lived through some of the most horrific personal catastrophes, none of which were actually real. (laughs) And that's one of those beautiful things to realise that to help your brain be your servant, not your master, that the inner dialogue, it's real, it's there, but it's a hallucination. It's all fake. It's not real. It's sorry, it's it's happening, but it's not the truth. Let's talk about this rather than on a micro level, but on a macro level. With a lot of organizations going through huge change right now, yeah. laying off staff or at least having people stood down, small businesses unsure of themselves. Yeah. What kind of leadership do we need to help? businesses what kind of leadership do people in senior positions need to be showing yeah I've taken a haircut on my salary we've had to reduce salaries during this period like most small businesses have in Canberra um, even large private businesses or in many ways we're lucky we weren't stood down the leadership does come in two forms It, it needs to have that calmness to have the clarity of vision to be able to make those decisions quite soundly and calmly about the finances, about the staffing structures, about what parts of the business can be rescued or run during this period, what parts of the business cannot be run during this period. And at the same time, there's that calmness and that clarity also needs to carry forward into interpersonal relationships. Not being a Pollyanna and going, oh, everything's going to be really great and we'll be fine and we're all tough and we're all strong and Mm. that rah-rah. Having some of that realisation and acknowledging how tough it is, being able to say your emotions and saying, you know, I'm I'm really upset just like you. I really want this business to be successful. It's really hard to let staff go and 
it's upsetting. And being able to actually name the emotions as well. It helps people to acknowledge the emotions for themselves and then the emotions don't get acted out. That's a big thing, isn't it? Because often like there was something I was really angry about and I couldn't work out why I was angry about it. I was disproportionately angry about it and annoyed. So being able to name that I was angry about it and then do a deep dive in terms of why I was angry was really helpful because now I know why I'm angry about it and it's not what I thought. Yeah, Uh, they really are what we think. Remember those inner dialogues? They're real but they're fake. They're They're not true because people look to the leader for signals, for cues. People look to the bosses to give that guidance. When they look up at the boss, they've got all these expectations and beliefs about what a leader is supposed to be doing. What the leader does sets the emotional tone of the business. It sets off, are people going to be productively responsive or are they going to be chaotically reactive? That emotional state of the leader is catching. It's very Mm. catching. It will flood the system. I remember in the military they used to say that a leader should never run, an officer should never run because it scares the troops. But there is there is some truth in that when your leader looks calm, is honest with good communication about what's happening, but also doesn't appear flustered, like we've got this under control, there's a positive message, it helps to ride it through. I mentioned briefly in the introduction that we're both in Zonta together and I was wondering if you could perhaps tell some of our listeners what Zonta does and also how important community groups are during this unusual year we're having. I've been in Zonta for 18 years now. Zonta is an international volunteer service organisation. It's in the same sort of structure and vein as groups like Rotary and Lions and Seroptimus and Apex where everyone's organised into small local clubs, geographic clubs. But the difference that Zonta has is that we work on women's specific issues. Our mission is empowering women through service and advocacy. The list of projects that we do is so long, is so long. We look after, we do fundraising and we also do hands-on service and advocacy projects that look after women who are in need, Mm -hmm. but also the women who are our leaders or our future leaders. And you've seen in our Zonta Club here in Canberra, we do things like Zonta has a proprietary product called the Breast Cancer Care Cushion Mm -hmm. for women who've had a mastectomy. We make hundreds of those breast cancer care cushions every year and get them distributed throughout the breast cancer network here in Canberra. But we also do like scholarships and awards for women who are doing their PhD in, and I love it, the, the last winner is a galactic archaeologist. A galactic archaeologist. What a fabulous title. I know, I know. And the other, we, we've got one, our current president in the club has her PhD in physics and cosmology. And she studied the movement of galaxies and how they merge or separate from each other. It's way beyond anything I could ever imagine. I do not understand the physics that are involved in that, the mental conception abilities you have to have for that. The only thing I can remember is that 
the movement of galaxies creates a thing called galactic wind, which is something that I'm sure I suffer from from time to time. <laughs> Leanne, finally, one last question. Do you have a frugalista tip for us today? Oh, look, the frugalista tip, honestly, it comes down to biting the bullet and being prepared to live within your means. Oh, that's a big one for a lot of people. The discipline of living within your means. And that does mean having to go through. Let let me tell you one thing I've realised for myself. There've been a couple of times where I wanted to set a budget and I have gone through my transactions through my bank accounts and typed them out manually into an Excel spreadsheet. I know that there's heaps of software out there like Mint or Pocketbook or even my bank has tracking software inside the internet banking. When I used those, it was all very nice and it was all the work was done for me, but I lost the connection to the fine micro details of where was I wasting my money. Mm. And so doing it manually, I began to actually much more viscerally and kinesthetically realise as I'm typing out for the 15th time, hey, there's another purchase of raisin toast at the local cafe. You begin to really see your patterns and it really begins to get into your head. And when you go shopping, you're very, very much aware of what is my financial status right now? Is this something I want to spend my money on? What is the bill that's coming up in a month's time? What is the target that I've got? So typing it out manually every now and again, you might think, what a waste of time. But it actually gets into every cell of your body and you begin to really understand what your finances are so that you can bring it all back and live within your means. Look, I do that too and it takes me probably, I don't know, two or three hours a month and sometimes I don't have that time and I put it off and then do it later. But there are times I do it. It's huge because I pick up funny things, like I pick up things where, you know, I've, I've signed up for a free trial and I've forgotten to cancel it or, which is a big one, or just sort of looking at things and going, why am I paying for this? Why, like, we don't need this or can we do this a different way or looking at how much we've eaten out a particular month and going, okay, well, next month will be a little bit more spendthrift. So thank you for that. Let me tell you, when my fire fell over and I had to redo my budget, and I was sitting there going, oh, I'm going to have to go get a job. I discovered that I had $400 a month in subscriptions. Wow. I bet you don't now. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Leanne, for being on the Joyful Frugalista podcast. Um, to join in the conversation about this and other podcasts, please join the Joyful Frugalista Facebook group. And thank you very much. Thanks, Serena. Thank you so much for the work that you do in encouraging everyone to manage themselves well and make it easy for everyone. Thank you. You've been listening to The Joyful Frugalista with Serena Bird. She actually likes everybody. And, of course, sound has been by Neil Hadley. And myself, I'm Joseph McGrail Baitup. You've got a Accentuate the positive, eliminate the negative, latch on to the affirmative, don't mess with Mr. In-Between.